Welcome to The Journey, a podcast series by Christ Life Ministries, focused on renewing, restoring, and equipping leaders. Well, hello. Welcome back to The Journey podcast series. My name is Greg. I'm the director of Christ Life Ministries, and we're just continuing our journey. This is like a long-distance backpacking trip. We're rolling out of the sleeping bag, making a cup of coffee. <laughs> Hopefully we've got more to eat than oatmeal. <laughs> and we're going to hit the trail again. We're going to have an amazing time today. I'm so excited about the next series of podcasts. Where we're going to be talking about the very essence of what drives us on the inside. The, the longings, the, the needs that we have. Where they came from and how they can be most suitably met in John 15 relationship with God. If this is the first podcast that you've listened to, welcome. We've got this little ever-growing community of people who share a couple things in common. I mean, you might work a white-collar job. You might have a PhD. On the other hand, uh, you might not have ever graduated from high school. But either way, You have the living God who's made his home in you, his abode. He's he's tabernacling within you. And you have this hunch that there's just a whole lot more to experience in life than than what you've experienced up to this point. So if that's you, welcome. If that's not you, (laughs) welcome. You might have had some senior pastor or small group leader direct you towards this podcast, I just want you to know, regardless of where you are in life, that this is a safe place for you to begin the process of figuring things out. Maybe more importantly, a safe place to begin to relinquish control and surrender uh, your, your entire self to the living God. We acknowledge your presence, Jesus. There's absolutely nowhere we can go where you're not present. And I just have a real desire to bow my heart before you. We humble our hearts before you, living God. You, Jesus, are the John 1 God who created all things with the power of your word. We're asking now that you would change our lives by the power of your word. You've already translated, transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. We're asking that you would now go into the unprocessed wounds and distortions, the disruptive emotion and dysfunctional lifestyle choices that categorize our lives. And would you bring the change that's necessary so that we can love you wholeheartedly and reflect you accurately? We've got great expectation that you're going to do that. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So let's get into it. Let's start by looking back. We've just completed the first two segments of the journey. We've done our awareness work. 
We've talked about the pre-hippocampal era of our life. We've begun the process of distilling out of the carnage, the brokenness of our past, very clear unprocessed wounds and distortions. We've understood that those unprocessed wounds and distortions still have a voice. They're still speaking. Often, in fact, when we're responding at a 10, when it should be a 2, when we see a cyclical pattern to our over-responses, uh, the triggering, if you will, in our lives, more than likely, that triggering has its roots in our history, and God wants to step in and bring healing. There should be tremendous confidence that he'll do that. Number two, we talked about the nature of chaos. It was the true Jesus work. What does it look like to come out of chaos into the presence of the true Jesus? I'm not going to outline that for you because I just realized last week as I was going through the podcast, I've outlined that a lot. <laughs> you can go back and listen to it. Uh, this is actually week four. I'm in the process of rewriting week three. We'll probably, by the time we're done recording all the podcasts, we'll go and do a whole new segment, which is section three, and a, a new segment, which will be section six, which will be all about true forgiveness. So we'll have the mechanics of new life, which is week three, coming at the end of the podcast series because it's not written yet. And then week six, true forgiveness, which also needs to be written. <laughs> There you go. So this week is actually considered week four. It's called Core Longings. And Core Longings always starts with the leaders that I work with in the same way. We crack open the scripture to Jeremiah 2.13. If you have a Bible, go ahead and do that. This is an amazing passage. Again, this is Jeremiah 2.13. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says this. My people have committed two grievous sins. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. First of all, anytime that you have a scripture that summarizes a huge amount of time, a huge amount of history, or a huge amount of principles, kind of like the great commandment, you better put on the safety belt, your seatbelt, and, and spend some time there understanding what God's speaking because it's big. That's Jeremiah 2.13. Consider the history of the nation of Israel. They've had, they've had a lot of years, a lot of water under the bridge up to this point. They've had covetousness, idolatry. They've had lust and impurity. They've, they've set up idols for themselves. They, they've committed... Uh, like all of us, every sin known to mankind. And yet from God's seat, from his perspective, he says, really, they've committed two. In their need, they've forsaken me, the need meter. In their thirsting, they've forsaken the fountain of living water. <laughs> And they've gone out and tried to dig their own cisterns to provide for themselves. Do you see the key, the two key takeaways from this passage? That God is confronting the nation of Israel. That they've forsaken him as the answer to their need. And they've tried to do it on their own. Now, the imagery of this passage, the word picture that's painted for us is important. God doesn't do anything 
haphazardly. That we have this great thirst and this great fountain. And yet we turn and we try to hew out for ourselves. You know, nobody builds a cistern out of dirt. This isn't an easy work project. This is something that requires skilled, strong labor. And yet in the end, after all the work, the cisterns have proved to be cracked and unable to do the very thing that we designed them to do. Do you see what God's speaking is that anytime we venture from him to get our needs met, we're going to be met with intense labor and total failure. Regardless of whether you're leading a church of 15,000, if you're leading independently from God, your end will be the same as mine. Failure. And the road to that end will be filled with intense labor. Nobody wants that. God's invitation to us even now is to get off that path and to come to him. You've heard me talk about Jean-Pierre Descassades in the book Abandonment to Divine Providence. He's got this little piece in there that just makes me laugh every time I read it. He says, when you thirst, the solution isn't to read about water or thirsting. The solution is to drink. That's what God's inviting us to do today, even now. Maybe you could just pause right now and just say, God, I just drink you in. I've tried to provide for myself for most of my life, and it's becoming more and more apparent to me. Would you forgive me, and would you draw me to you? You see, in this passage, God in no way is communicating that he's surprised by our need. He's just surprised that we would try to get our needs met apart from him. That there's no way to actually get thirst met apart from him. And that might be the reason why we're so thirsty. It might be the reason why we have this uproar of wantonness springing from our lives. Because the thirst is never being quenched. We're never actually getting the need met. God is saying to us today, I'm the only one who can meet your needs. You can try, but you'll find yourself frustrated, never satisfied, always looking and yet never fulfilled, always eating and never satisfied. Consider this passage from Haggai 1.6. It, it actually describes this, this situation that's being described by God in Jeremiah 2.13. It says this, you have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse that has holes in it. <laughs> that's a horrible, that's a horrible experience. My son just mowed a lawn the other day, and, and a guy gave him 20 bucks, and he casually put it on the table where his computer is, and, and then the next day he's just like, hey, where's my $20 bill? And me trying to be a good dad, I said, well, son, where did you leave it? <laughs> have you ever had that conversation with your kids if you have them? If not, maybe you will in the future. <laughs> it's a bad feeling to earn and then to lose. 
But that's what God's saying in this passage. I, there, there are tons of leaders that I work with that measure success in all the wrong ways, as I have. Maybe it's a building project. They make sure that they have the uh, sharpened pickaxes. They've got a team put together of great volunteers. They have a ribbon cutting and they go to work. They're measuring the amount that they are getting done daily. They're meeting their goals. In fact, they're they're under budget <laughs> and ahead of schedule. And they take all of this as a sign that God's in the project. And then when everything is done and everybody's gathered around for that big day, when the spring rains will come, the water will flow and fill that beautifully crafted new multi-million dollar cistern. <laughs> well, the waters come and the bottom in one terrible moment breaks out. And all that hard work is seen for what it really is, intense labor and total failure. Did you get that point I made before? That God isn't displeased with need. He's not confronting the nation of Israel for having need in Jeremiah 2.13. He's confronting them for going everywhere else other than him to get that need met. And that's what we need to address today. That's the first piece that we need to address in our lives. The need that we have inside is designed by God to get met by God. And when we go anywhere else, guaranteed we're going to experience intense labor and total failure. So let's take a couple minutes and talk about the source of this longing, this need that drives us, of, of this desire for satisfaction. Well, where did it come from? To answer that question, we need to go all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. You see, in Genesis 1, we have unveiled for us the creation story. It's an amazing story. And of course, for those of us who are transformed followers of Jesus Christ, as we gaze at John 1, we understand that it was the pre-incarnate Christ who was the creator. It was Jesus who took this unformed planet and created all that we know and love. And it says on the last day, God's final work of creation was making man in his own image. What a beautiful thing. Being the Omega Day, being made in the image of God, of course, means many things. We don't have time to talk through all of the different aspects of being made in God's image. But we would agree upon several foundational aspects of image bearing. And that is that, that we were designed for a deeper level of connection with God. You see, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1 tells us that not only did God create everything, but he maintains it by the power of his being. That, that he's the only one that's creator. In fact, Genesis 1 gives us a snapshot, a real clear snapshot of the delineation between God and us, that he's the, the maker. <laughs> We're what's made. He's the cook. <laughs> We're the creation. 
and it's never going to be any different. That that we can expect that life lived God's way is a life that's completely dependent on God, as is the rest of the universe. But being an image bearer opens us up for a different level of dependence and relationship. We're able to walk with God, commune with God, draw life at even a deeper level from God. We can see need represented in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis as God lays out for Adam his job. <laughs> he, he was to basically name all of creation. And we see him beginning to do that with God in the garden as he's naming animals, <laughs> which would have been amazing to be able to witness. God gave him complete control, and yet God was with him as he named. It's almost as if we can pull from the pages of Scripture a deep enjoyment as God sees man in dependent relationship with him, living out life as God had ordained it. It was beautiful. Until the fall, Genesis 3, that Adam and Eve chose to reject God, reject relationship, and venture out on their own. And in doing so, sin entered the picture. It caused fear right away. Shame right away. And God, in being God, remedied the problem, created garments for Adam and Eve, and yet at the same time foretold what would now be the new reality for them, that they were leaving this close proximity and relationship with God, and that in many ways they were now going to do life on their own. It doesn't mean that God removed himself entirely from their lives. I mean, you see, for example, him interacting with Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's first boys. There was interaction, but there was something that was tragically lost. In fact, Augustine says this, that really what was lost in the garden, the tragedy of the fall and, and what ended up transpiring with mankind was a result of deprivation that man deprived of the relationship, the right relationship that God had designed them to experience became twisted. Now check this out. Dallas Willard in the book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, correlates the experience of Adam and Eve now as they exit the garden to plant life. He says that plants are designed to draw in the nutrients that are found in the environment around them, whether it be air, light, or from the soil. And if there's corruption in that soil, a lack of light, 
or a lack of space to grow. That plant becomes twisted over time. Well, that's exactly what we have witnessed with mankind. In fact, from Adam's day to Noah, which wasn't all that far apart. I think they were only separated by 700 years or so. The Bible teaches us that wickedness had spread throughout all of the earth to the point where God grieved that he had even created man. And he decided to wipe out. I mean, it just gives you a a snapshot of, of the level of wickedness that was on the planet at the time, that God decided to remove all life, all human life, all of the image bearers, apart from Noah and his immediate family. You see, Adam and Eve were formed into relationship with God. They were cast upon God from their first breath. But Adam and Eve's offspring, the children of the first Adam, which includes us, we were born into flesh life, life that became all about themselves, getting their own needs now met in their own way. Do you see the correlation to the illustration that Dallas Willard uses? That, that as Adam and Eve slowly moved away from God as their primary source for all of life, as their offspring were born into independence, they more often than not drew from themselves. You know, it's even in the curse that you see in Genesis 3 that, that life was going to be now made by the sweat of your brow. That life became all about our working. We drew life from our performance. We drew life from the world. There were all sorts of outside influences that promised satisfaction, that promised uh, the life that only God could bring. That, That as we were, from a heart level, looking for, uh, looking to draw from God, we inadvertently along the way began to draw from other things and we became stilted, twisted, and broken. You see, again, Adam and Eve were formed into relationship, but Adam and Eve's offspring after the fall were formed into independence and independently we've lived until Christ came on the scene, Christ being born into relationship with God as Adam was. He's called the last Adam, don't you know? He was given the first, the same opportunity as the first Adam, and yet Jesus' calling in life was much more difficult, wasn't it? He had to live the life that God had designed the first Adam to live in a very corrupt and fallen environment. Whereas Adam could have lived that life in Eden. And yet Jesus succeeded where Adam failed. And now we have opportunity or invitation, like the invitation that we see in John 4, where Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus, and he says, don't you know, Nicodemus, 
You've got to be born of water and of the Spirit. John Piper would liken or connect that passage to Ezekiel 36, where we see a glimpse of New Testament life. God says, with my people, I'm going to purify them from their corruption, their wickedness, and their idolatry. I'll give them a new heart. I'll take the old heart out, give them a new heart, and then I'll place my spirit in them. You see, that's, that's the essence of, of what transpires as we surrender our lives to Christ, confess our sin to him, and look to him as our only solution for, for life moving forward. You see, in the same way, the Old Testament saints were saved. They recognized that they had nothing but independence, waywardness, and corruption as their future, apart from God. They humbled themselves before God, sought God. In fact, you can see that in the Genesis narrative. You see it with Enoch and Noah. It says that both of those men walked with God, that they recognized that they were absolutely unable to perform their way into righteousness. There was no life to be found outside of God. They humbled themselves before God, sought his face, and God allowed grace to manifest in them that turned into faith, that turned into a God-filled life. (laughs) That's so beautiful. (laughs) Do we have any ability? I just want to be very clear about this. Do we have any ability to make our way to God apart from God working in us? And the answer is absolutely no. We cannot perform our way into the kingdom of God. Our best righteousness, the book of Romans tells us, is nothing but filth. Apart from God, we can do nothing. John 15 tells us. In fact, John 15 gives us a real good picture of what the descendants of Adam, what their life was like, what our lives are like prior to salvation. We're like a branch disconnected from the trunk of the tree. (laughs) God says you can't do anything apart from me. In fact, that's where our passage, the passage that we use to begin this segment, taught us that God, of course, is the fountain of living water. And, and that we commit grievous sin when we forsake him and we turn and try to do it on our own. In fact, again, it'll create intense labor and total failure. So could it be that the longing, the desire that we have inside is really twofold? That at the foundation, the, the longing and desire that we have is nothing more than what God wove into the first man, and that is need that could be met in relationship with God, that the need was created by God to be fulfilled by God, to glorify God. And there's no escaping it. We're designed to draw in life. We're the creation, remember? He's the creator. We're designed to suck in nutrients and thrive. And I guess that sets the deck for 
the sin that we find in each of our lives. That sin, very simply, comes from our attempts to satisfy our longings apart from God. Flows from the unaided life. I stumbled on this quote from Augustine in the book Confessions that describes exactly what we're talking about. He says this, For my will was perverse and lust had grown from it. And when I gave in to lust, habit was born. And when I did not resist the habit, it became necessity. (laughs) That's just unbelievable. Do you get it? And this is, I really want to be clear with this point. There are many Christian leaders that I work with that think that the evil that resides in them is some alien force. In fact, they're moving very closely to what we would call dualism, which is that 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 the forces of evil are, are equally as strong as the forces of God in our lives. Well, that's just not true, and it's not biblical. That, yes, we're born into independence, but much of the struggle and wrestling that we experience daily is directly as a result of a, a corrupt will leading to lust, leading to habits, that ultimately turn into necessity, that we in some shadow type of way have met the longings that we have in our heart on our own terms, in our own way. And we, like the offspring of Adam in the early years, just drift from God. We think that that God is God, and yet the needs that I have moment by moment, day by day, really ultimately are my own responsibility. There's a leadership adage that I think is really, would be really good to to bring into the conversation. And that is that, that often high level leaders, as they're recruiting to fill positions in their company, instead of just personality inventories, they take a deeper look regarding past behavior because they believe that past behavior is the best determination or determiner of future success. What we've done in the past, more often than not, is going to repeat itself. The, the tragedy in that reality is that if we've lived much of our lives independently from God, meaning that but life is all about what I make it, we'll more often than not just bring that same mentality into the Christian life. So we call ourselves Christians, and yet at the same time, much of the content of our lives is being lived independently from God. It's no wonder that that Paul in Romans 7, verse 14, says, Man, oh man, if I'm trying to do the Christian life on my own, what I desire to do, I can't do. I only do what I don't desire to do. And, and that's the main point, isn't it? That God is not going to let us off the hook. That the desires and longing, the deep desire for satisfaction can only be met in close proximity, relationship, communion, covenantal relationship, like a John or a Jeremiah 7, 23 relationship where God says, I will be their God 
and they will be my people. It's supposed to be that simple. And when I allow the longings that radiate inside of me to propel me towards sinful actions or, or solutions apart from God, I'm going to be a train wreck in life. So let's bring this all the way back around. The core or foundational longings that we have in life are created, gifted, and designed by God can only be fulfilled by God. They also, if I choose to continue in my independence, even after dedicating my life, surrendering my life to Christ, they'll become a source of brokenness. And as we'll see as we move forward in the next several weeks of core longings, that we can wrongly identify our longing as something that's sinful simply because in my independence I've attempted to meet those core longings on my own terms over the course of my life. Now there are many of you right now who are listening to this podcast who have been so overwhelmed by your sin You've just tried to shove it down. Take your eyes off of it. Perform your way out of it. Could it be that God today wants to reveal himself as the great need meter? The fountain of living water. The one who who desires to to quench, to, to fulfill every longing of your heart that we could begin to just admit that we've had it all wrong. That for some of us, sex has has replaced the deep, intimate relationship that God was compelling our hearts towards. That we've accepted lesser things instead of the rich, full relationship that we were designed to experience. And so, God, we ask you simply today to come open our eyes deliver us from our independence our unaided lives reveal to us in every way that we've lived apart from you and draw us into your life everlasting we thank you allow healing to pour into every man and woman that's listening to this podcast now And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.